Hey, it's Melissa Rivers, and welcome to Group Text. Stay tuned for a new episode. everyone welcome to group text uh you know sabrina and i have talked a lot about this lately that right now a lot of people are finding happiness a bit elusive and today i'm excited because we have three people who have who have found it in their own unique way sarah may bates is the founder of the site yay with me her podcast is called help me be me and if you go to your site you find all sorts of happiness Toolkits. Uh, Tamin Shersok, actress, mom, producer, director, uh, EP, uh, podcast women on top. What am I missing? <laughs> I think you got it all. That was a you, You've got a lot <laughs> that was of hyphens. A, that was a lot. That was a lot of uh, uh, hyphenates, right? Yeah, a lot <laughs> of hyphenates. And a mom. And a mom. I did say and a mom. And Rich Arani, the founder of the Rich in Life podcast, who not only founded the shoe store mammoth thing called Chucky's, as well as your own personal shoe line. Because let's talk about it. Shoes make everybody happy. (laughs) They did for a long time. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, Sarah, I want to start with you. Tell me a little bit about Yay With Me. You call it a self-help for people who are stuck and for people like myself who hate anything that even remotely (laughs) smells like self-help. Yeah, I can relate. I feel like I was that person that refused to watch Oprah until probably the last five Mm -hmm. years where I was like, okay, I'll check her out. Um, I also kind of looked down on people who read self-help books and anything that was kind of touchy-feely. I think that's probably because I'm just a very practical person and yeah, I think of myself as high functioning. So I'm like way more about just tell me exactly what to do and I'll do it. Right. I don't I'm all the other stuff. I, I can speak for myself and Sabrina, may I speak for you? Nope. <laughs> okay. Well, I can speak for myself and say I can't get past like the first three pages of a self-help book. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. Yeah. I get it. Just, you know, exactly. Just tell me exactly what to do. I was going to say that Sabrina is practical like that as well. Mm-hmm. But since I'm no longer allowed to speak for her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sabrina, do you feel the same way about self-help books? Sometimes. Sometimes they're helpful. I think that you can apply whatever you need in the moment. How's that? Aren't That's you diplomatic today? Great did, attitude. Did you hit your head? I'm just checking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just trying to stay ahead of you. That's all. <laughs> so you started for, for people like like me or like you who just like, just give me the tools. Totally. Don't ask me to like be one with myself. Right. Exactly. And I feel like when you break things down in a way that you would break down, like, how do I install this washer? It's like, you do this, then you do this, then you put this tube into this, then you hook up the water and then it's washing your dishes. It's like, you can treat it the same exact way. And I feel like that was kind of who I was trying to talk to was people like us. And um, one thing I think also self-help does is it makes things into like some far off goal that's like, you know, in 15 years from now, when you finally are on, uh, you know, Oprah's podcast and you get an Emmy and you have, you know, hit the hundred pound mark on your scale or whatever it is, it's like, we have all these far off goals that we're like, then I will be super happy. And it just makes it really impossible to actually see yourself 
happy today. So I feel like one of the main things that I try and talk about is like how you can actually take what you have in your life currently and look at it in a different way so that you can actually create some happiness for yourself right now. Because a lot of us can't quit our job. We can't quit our day job. We can't suddenly not have children or, you know, (laughs) have the time to do a juice fast or whatever it is. So it's, I feel like you can actually approach what you have currently as though it's like a, a set of ingredients and tweak them so that your focus is actually allowing you to um, enjoy all of the things in your life currently because everything is about perspective, you know, and what your expectations are for your own life. Mm -hmm. And I think when people can see their own participation in coloring your current life, it's tweakable. So you can actually make a lot more happiness for yourself just with what you have. Uh, David, I want to get to you. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the things that you're known for other than everything I've already mentioned was (laughs) you posted a picture of yourself as a teenager Mm -hmm. and you were heavy. Very. 220 pounds. Okay. That's, that's a heavy for definitely a 14 year old. Right. I I was going to be kind. Was it with boys? It's a, you, you buy stuff for them in the Huskies department. Right. Um, And you, you talked about that and you were very open about it. Do you think at, how did you find happiness? Was parting losing the weight becoming happy? No. Um, you know, I was so self-loathing for most of my childhood that I thought that losing the weight would bring about happiness. And when it didn't, I had to look deeper and think about why. And as I get older, I realized that I think in a society that believes in the idea that happiness is the goal and that's something we need to be feeling all the time, that the idea brings on an incredible amount of guilt and shame and it negates the idea that even even emotions that aren't so peachy keen are still needed to make up the human experience. And I feel that there was a lot of shame surrounding it because I felt like I wasn't happy. And even in my life now, I have moments of incredible happiness and moments of complete sadness. But I think we have to accept that happiness doesn't just have to be the goal, that that is not a life experience. That's not a human experience. And I think once we accept that, we realize that we we, we let go of the shame and the guilt um, that that like happiness brass ring brings because we can't always get to it. So I think what you got, you, you were both saying is something very similar about mm-hmm. staying in the moment and finding your happiness. Like, like Sarah said, in maybe looking at the world differently. Definitely. What, cause you you just said you didn't have a, a you had a lot of self-loathing. And I'm just curious because I'm one of those people who has a tremendous amount of self-loathing. I mean, people look and say, you've done this and you've done that and you've accomplished this. And blah. and I am someone who's filled with self-loathing, which is mm-hmm. one of the reasons I wanted to have this podcast today is to talk about it. Because I think self-loathing, and I don't mean to cut you off, but no, self-loathing comes from... <laughs> please feel free. <laughs> comes from con- I think it comes from control. I really do. I feel that anxiety is this like deep distrust in the universe. And when we can't control things and we can't, we don't feel like we're perfect, 
then we, I think that is related to self-loathing. I think the lack of control, the perfectionism feeds into the self-loathing. Um, and my problem's always been with the fact that I've always wanted to be perfect in the eyes of the world. And when you realize that you can never be that, I think self-loathing starts to happen and you can't control that and you can't control aging and you can't control who loves you and who doesn't love you and who wants to have sex with you and who doesn't want to have sex with you and who what, like what your children think about you when you can't control that then that leads to a lot of self-destructive behaviors and self-loathing and self-hate um and that's what I think it comes down to at least for me Right. I, I always feel like happiness should not be so elusive, you know, and I was going to say, Sarah, go ahead. Yeah. To, well, to answer what you previously said, I feel like what you might have is a, just a really bad habit because I think there's something addictive and comfortable for us about feeling the same way. Like we practice feeling shitty about ourselves, pardon my French, and then we get really comfortable there and it feels scary and like foreign, almost like using the other hand like to try and not be that way. And our brain wants to reset to that because that's where we feel safe. So if you've had like, let's say a childhood where you felt very invisible or you felt like what you, you thought wasn't smart enough or the right answer, I think we get used to that setting of like, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm kind of a stupid person. And then we stay there and we just repeat staying there and staying in there and staying there. And anything that tries to move us out of that space feels like, no, 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 no. I don't want to be there. That feels that feels icky and weird. Like it's not our muscle memory. And in order to really untrain that habit, we have to, but first of all, see it, highlight it, put a circle around it, and then start practicing the habits of somebody that doesn't feel that way until it actually becomes ownable to us and not as foreign to us. But it takes like conscious awareness and repetition, a lot of repetition of things that feel ridiculous and like they're not doing anything for you. Which is, which is hard to do. And so I want oh, to talk to Rich. You, you've taken, for people who don't know your history, you took a huge leap of faith at, was it 16? 16, yes. And t- t- explain what you did at 16. Well, at 16, my, my, first I have to say my father died when I was 10 years old. So my brother had dropped out of college and was working for my cousins. And uh, when he met a girl in his early 20s, my mom wanted him to open up his own store since he was the shoe buyer for this, you know, for my cousins, you know, it was a cheap shoe store. And um, he met this girl and he wasn't happy with my cousins. They were mistreating him. And uh, she said, why don't you take your father's store, make it a shoe store? And he asked me if I wanted to do it. And I said, yeah, sure, I'll do it you know, having no idea what that would entail for my future. So I said, yes, I'll do it. And ultimately, I happened to have been lucky enough to be good at that and wound up dropping out of school. And um, I did. I dropped out of school at about 16 years old. Mm. All this talk about happiness, I do think it's a subjective word. Happiness, it could be different, mean something different for everyone. But um, more importantly is I do believe it really is a choice because I went through a time, I mean, most of my life is being unhappy. You know, and it's funny when uh, Vinny approached me to come on this podcast to talk about happiness. I'm like, me, out of all people, I'm the most miserable person there is. I mean, it's like, it's always dangling in front of me. I mean, I did did learn how to change my perspective, which is really mm-hmm. smart. It's repetition. It's, you know, having perspective. 
Um, but I will say I was never really um, a self-help book type of a person. I took the expensive route. I went to a psychiatrist, psychotherapy, to all kinds of therapists. So I really took the expensive way. And I, you know, I, my joke is I must have spent a million dollars in therapy. I've never had a million dollars, but between 15 and my age now, I must have spent about a million dollars. And I will say that when I was ready to accept living in the moment and changing mm -hmm. my perspective, I did have the tools. But it took me a really long time. I mean, I was gay. I came from an orthodox community. I was not going to be happy being gay and unaccepted and not having a family. I wasn't going to be happy marrying a, a woman and faking it. So for me, there was no happiness either way ever, you know? And uh, it took a lot of time and a lot of work and repetition and you know, going to my doctors when I had nothing to say. I mean, at points I used to say, what are you looking to build another wing on the house? Let me go. And then we'd leave. And, yeah, I, and then I just say, so you know, I'm, I'm convinced I'm putting my therapist's twins through college. I'm just saying. For sure you are. I, for sure you are. I know you are because I'm doing the same thing. I've done the same thing. When my kids ask me, where's their college money? I'm going to say, I'm going to give you the list of doctors. Go to them. They <laughs> but your podcast is called Rich in Life. And yes. when I was looking through them, You've come to a place that feels like that you are in a really positive space, which is so hard right now. Yeah. How are you, how did you, how do you cultivate that positive, happy, rich in life feel? Melissa, you're so funny. You hit it on the nail. My family will tell you I am a downer. I'm always <laughs> miserable. I'm always looking at the bad side of everything. When people ask me, Rich, how are you doing? I say, I'm okay. But I mean, I could give you a laundry list, like this card pulled up in front of me, an old lady walked in front of me and she started walking slow. And, you know, I could complain about everything, but I'll tell you, it took so long to get where I am because like I said, I had the tools and after I had my kids, everything kind of kicked in. It kicked in. And at the worst time when I really could be complaining the most, because, you know, I don't have to tell you guys, it's hanging. The apple is literally hanging from the tree in front of me to be miserable. It's, I'm like Eve. I want to take the apple and just go <laughs> and just bite into it because I'm miserable and I want to make everyone around me miserable. But I really have to remember, change your perspective. The kids are home. They're expecting to see a happy person. Mm -hmm. And I really do. So, you know, at the worst time during the whole COVID, being in New York City now, I had just come from the beach. You know, I could be so miserable, but I, I keep having to remind myself to change my perspective. Mm. And I think a big part of it too is that, you know, I went through a lot, right? My mom, you know, was sick for a long time. I was miserable for nine years. I got tired of being miserable. I woke up mm. one day and I said, you know what? I want to live. I want to live. Mm -hmm. I think you, you, you definitely have the right attitude, Rich. I think that it is a choice for some mind you some need medication mm -hmm. but for the most part are some really... of us a lot of medication just say mm -hmm. <laughs> yes that is correct i'll vouch for you melissa it's okay but... sabrina likes her wine it makes her happy and her champagne her champagne makes her very happy it makes me happy but i don't rely on it it's not the center of my happiness mm -hmm. no one no one or her well, dog is the center of her well, happiness. Yeah, yeah. But, um, I've, you know, listening to all of you guys, I have also learned, too, um, you know, I've been married now for over 30 years. And mm. I finally, not that I solely relied on my husband to fulfill me and all and my happiness, I'm realizing that it begins and ends with me. And then mm. I contribute more in the relationship you know, and so it really is a choice, Rich. And, you know, I think having the right tools, it's also important. It really is. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I think that what you're saying is absolutely true. But, you know, there are a lot of people around me that, you know, in my family or people I'm friends with that for whatever reason, you know, they, they're not making enough money or whether it's weight, you know, they, it's, they're still unhappy. They're still trying to chase the one thing that, you know, the only one thing that they maybe can't control in their life. And like I said, it's a choice. One day you have to wake up and say, this is what it is. It was like mm -hmm. me being gay. I can't change it. How am I going to be happy? And I still wasn't happy when I was in my relationship and when I was going to therapy and it took a long time. And when it does hit, it's kind of like an epiphany. And then you realize that, you know what? You have to work around everything. I learned mm -hmm. to work around the obstacles, whether it was my family, whether it was religion, anything that was around me, I really did learn to work around it and not be resentful. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm always looking for that one perfect skincare product that's going to change my life <laughs> or that hair color that's going to change my life. <laughs> I have the skincare for you. I'll tell you later. Why do we focus? This is something I'm working on right now. Why do we focus so much on like, why does our society focus so much on your worth is based on your looks and how slim you are and what you, how much money you have. We just base this idea of happiness on things that are just so Vap, vap, I do it too, you know, I think we all do it. But I thought the other day, like, so you look at someone who's older and has wrinkles on their face because they've, and you've heard this before, I'm sure, because they've laughed so much or an extra pound because they, they ate too much gelato in Italy. And we look at those people and we shame them and we go, oh, you're, you're not enough. But why does it matter? Why does it matter what we look like and what our bodies are and if our boobs are high, like what, why does it matter? And that's something that I've just really been trying to sit with myself and go, you know, you had two 10 pound babies. Holy Your shit. Your stomach, I know, like By two the way, weeks I early have the too. <laughs> I have my very good friend of mine's a plastic surgeon who also does vaginal rejuvenation. No, they got cut out. Thank God my vagina looks great. Well, send us a picture. I'm very gonna happy. Believe, again, it doesn't, doesn't make me worthy because my vagina looks great, but it does look great. <laughs> if I do say so out. myself. <laughs> Even if I do say so, my husband's like, oh, whatever. Um, but my stomach is not great. And and it, it makes me lose... Um, self-worth when I look at it. And I have to ask myself every time I look in the mirror, and this is what we're talking about behaviors and repeating those patterns. Like why does my worth, because I have stretch marks on my stomach, why am I lesser than someone who doesn't? But I just, I just don't know why, like, why have we made this what we, what we spend our lives thinking about? There's so much more to life okay. than that. So I think I can answer this, but it might be politically incorrect. I think- No, we we're, <laughs> by the way, you can curse. We're very un-PC here. Okay. Well, no, I mean, the, the political, political incorrectness I was referring to is that we, it's Hollywood. I mean, you look at Hollywood- But it's and everywhere Hollywood too. Perpetuates, yeah, yeah, but here is what I'm going to tell you that's also politically incorrect. If it bothers you that much and you can afford, get a tummy tuck and move on with your life. Done. It really is. Uh, like, And I'm not saying that I'm a believer in changing- but yeah, isn't it, isn't it up here? Like, is there ever a level of like, okay, great. So I get a tummy tuck and I look good. Do I feel, do I actually feel better? Maybe I feel better because my stomach looks better, but then I'm like, you're, you're, and then I'm like, but my face is sagging near my chin. And then when is enough enough? Like, when well, does it I, stop? I think enough is enough when you feel like enough is enough. I know. And you know, my mom, you know, she, she had more than one procedure, but her old whole thing was, Life is hard enough. You want to look in the mirror and feel good about yourself. And if 
having a tummy tuck or an eye lift or, you know, lasering your neck because we've all become obsessed with necks since COVID <laughs> yeah. because everyone's on Zoom calls. Like, seriously, everyone is obsessed with their necks. Right I didn't now. think about my neck until recently. That's so you're true. Well, by the way, you're <laughs> welcome. We're going to only uh, therapy when we leave this. Yeah, it, exactly. It's like just the tapes, like old Hollywood pulling it back. Um, I feel like, you know, my, like my mom always used to say, you do what makes you feel good and confident when you're looking in the mirror. But I do agree with you. It's like it's we're so programmed, especially in Los Angeles and New York and all of those places that, you know, we, we are so much of our self-worth. Yeah, is, that, well, is that's t- the problem. Is I tied think, up in our appearance. Or, but it, it'll always change. Right. Like, so the bar goes higher and higher. It'll never well, stop. And then our children, I, what do we, you know, I look, I have two girls. So I say to them like, oh, you're, you're interesting and you're, you're empathetic and all these things instead of a, based about their looks, but our children model the behaviors that we, so if I'm sitting in the, in the mirror and I'm pulling up my stomach going, oh man, I don't like my stomach because of the stretch marks, then that's what she sees. And that's what she becomes, doesn't she? And then it's that, it's, it's, it just keeps going unless we stop it now, unless yeah. we talk well, about it and say and like have, enough is enough. And you have I a don't choice. Know. I, I kind of disagree in a sense. Now. I really, I feel like we're not going to change the world. I mean, I cringed when anyone would call my daughter a princess. Anywhere we'd go, me and Brad, we'd take the kids and people would, you know, Ben say, oh, hi, little princess. And I would cringe because I hate the word princess. I never use the word gorgeous and whatever, you know, any of those words. But I will say now she's six years old and I see that she has young friends that like to look beautiful. They know what the word beautiful and pretty means. How do I not use that word on my daughter? I tell her she looks beautiful, even though I didn't want to start that at such a young age with the Barbie dolls she wanted. I, I was against them. You have to give in because really- You're a very mean parent. I am. I am a mean <laughs> You got to let her have the Barbie I'm, doll. I, she has them now. Okay. She does has have she started them now. Giving them hair, has she started giving them haircuts? Strips <laughs> them naked and cuts their hair. I don't know what's oh. wrong with her. She's probably a killer. Is she going to be a killer? Just tell me from now. My mother used to say it used to make her laugh so hard because- like when you're, I don't know if your daughters do that, but they want to take like the Barbie and the tub with them. Yes. My mom used to say it looked like I was taking a bath with a bunch of hookers. Don't <laughs> <laughs> make it. She strips the clothes off, cuts their hair. And I just, you know, and I'm controlling. I don't know how your no. mom. I'm extremely controlling. You're being sarcastic, right? Yes. Yes, I'm extremely controlling. <laughs> with Brad, even when we had the nurse, you know, I controlled everyone and the way they looked. Everyone had to look a certain way. I had to buy her her uniforms. So now I'm losing control over my daughter. My son, not really. He'll wear anything I tell him. But I'm losing control. And That'll that's change. What, I know. And my sisters tell me you're in for a life of misery. And that's where my happiness, I have to choose and change my perspective. And, and that's where my happiness has to like, I have to get happiness from somewhere else and not controlling her to be my Barbie totally. doll. I mean, to speak to what Tamman was saying earlier, I, I have, I relate to that so much. Cause I feel like I was like that. I was so obsessed with the scale every day. It was like, what's the number. And that would be like, whether I was happy or I was sad. And it mm-hmm. took so much time. It was like a full-time job, you know, like measuring myself was a full-time job. And it was like hours and hours. If you added it up, it would probably spend a day out of the week, just fixated on how much do I weigh? What is it going to, you know, what do I see in the mirror today? And finally, similar to your experience, Rich, I was like, I have to decide I don't want to live this way. I have to decide to not have this habit 
And it was really hard. It was like mm-hmm. breaking up with a, <laughs> an addiction or something, you know, where I'm like, I have to put you away scale. And it felt like free falling a little bit. I was like, am I just going to explode? Am I going to be like a thousand pounds? And that was terrifying. But once I decided I'm going to love myself no matter what, and that's going to be my job is I'm just going to focus on accepting myself no matter what, my body naturally fell into balance. And I was able to actually see myself for the first time versus that distortion of like this number. This is what I see no matter what is this random weird number that has so much power. So I feel it's like- funny because I was going to ask you, are you heavier or thinner or pretty much the same I'm when you got off the, the scale? Same. See, I'm look at that. The so there, yeah. there, there it is. Yeah. It's bizarre. I mean, I'm like, I, I wasted so much time. Just oh, like those obsessed. hours, right? Yeah. This is what I tell women that shop in my store. And I'm in a big sort of, and I know a lot of it has to do with, you know, first of all, the quarantine. My son was home with me, which was wonderful. Went back to school. Um, my office is usually run out of my house. No one has been here. So I'm, I'm here. It's like me and the dogs and the housekeeper when she comes in. So I'm very much alone. And I've really, I'm in a very, very bad space of self-loathing. Mm-hmm. I hate that I can't lose weight. I hate that my skin has lost elasticity. I keep ordering lotions and creams. Um, I can't stand that I'm thin, but the skin's, you know, sagging, so it looks like I'm not. I'm lonely. Why can't I meet any? Like, I'm very much in this cycle. I think I would just, a lot of it has to do, which I want to get to, is the circumstances we're living in. It totally. really tests Absolutely. how totally. to be happy. Absolutely. And I, you know, and I'm openly admitting that I am have that I'm in a very negative place right now. Yeah. I, I met someone and then he go, disappeared. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. So, but Sarah, you say you have actual practical tools to break up with the shitty part of your brain, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay. How do, how do we start in this very stressful, very lonely for everybody, even families that are together, time. You need a support system. And I'm going to oh, tell you. Oh, I have you, that. I got friends. Okay, well, listen, I deal with women like you for 30 years, young, old, beautiful, skinny, overweight. Nobody likes the way they look in the mirror. Everyone thinks I distorted the mirror, even the beautiful ones. And I'm going to tell you, this is what I would tell you after what you just said. Do you ever look at the positive stuff? First of all, you're perfect. You're very attractive. You have a son. Um, You're not a 20-year-old. You're extremely talented. And probably you're not in a relationship because it's mostly your choice and who you I bet there are a lot of guys you wouldn't date. I bet you there's a oh, lot there's of a guys lot that I would not date. I, yeah. Okay, there you go. Listen, I used to go to my therapist when I was young. I used to go to Equinox Gym with all the hot boys. I mean, Marcus Schenkenberg was at my gym. It was like a modeling agency and <laughs> nobody would look at me and I'd go to my shrink. I'm like, everyone has a boyfriend. I ordered a pizza to my loft, my beautiful loft. The pizza guy was like, oh, he had one arm. He's like, I don't have change. Let me go get it for my boyfriend. I remember <laughs> he has a boyfriend. I would go to my shrink. I'm like, everyone, nobody likes me. Nobody <laughs> likes me. But yet he said, but he said, would you go out with any of these guys that you're telling me about? I'm like, never in a million years. I'm like, everyone tries to set me up. I don't want anyone's sloppy seconds. Cause you know what it's like in the gay world. Everyone yeah. sleeps once and like, oh, let me set you up. I'm like, not interested. He's your friend. Yeah, no, thank you. I got it. Did, did you ever date him? Ah, for two minutes. I'm like, not interested. So when I met Brad, it was weird. I mean, I thought I got lucky. Now I'm trying to smother him in his sleep, but that's a whole nother but story. But that's, that's, that's a completely different show. 
Okay, we'll do that. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll stick to the happy part. I was like, that's when the one we talk about serial killers. <laughs> okay, that's when I'll be on. But Sarah, what are some practical tools that we can have, you mm. know, and, and not just me, that we don't smother people in their yeah. sleeps. How do, this is an oppressive totally. time between socially, politically, physically. It it's a, It's a fucking nightmare. It is a fucking nightmare. And I feel like, you know, to speak to the first thing you said, COVID, just first of all, give yourself a little bit of slack because COVID is a real cause of Mm -hmm. a lot of this depression, isolation, and having not, um, not having access to a lot of our coping skills right now. Like we can't go out to a yoga class and be in a sense of community. Mm -hmm. We can't go to our church, whatever that is. For me, that's yoga. But we can't go on a hike as easily because it's like right now everyone's wearing masks or the the trail might be closed that day. There's all sorts of factors that make it very difficult for us to take care of ourselves. And I feel like one of the biggest things on that list is social. Like to be around people and to be in groups of friends is intensely healing and grounding. Mm -hmm. And so to just not have that around us all the time, we're already giving ourselves like a large dose of chemical depression because of we're social creatures. Like we have to be around people. People like men who are single die. I think it's an average of 10 years earlier than married men. And yeah, my heart's breaking for them. (laughs) Poisonous poisonous to be alone. So I feel like that's number one. It's just uh, recognizing your circumstances. I have what I call like my 911 list, which is like when you're in a really shitty state where you're like, I'm dooming and glooming first of all, chemicals build on each other. They're like, they they exponentially create more of themselves. So when you get in that state of like, I'm repeating negative thoughts, I'm repeating negative feelings, it's going to build and build and build until you disrupt that process. So I have my 911 list, which is all the things I need to do to get myself out of that state chemically. For me, that is getting outside. Immediately, I need to go outside. I need to get blood flowing in my body. I need to call a friend and I need to tell them exactly where I am. Uh, I have a podcast that I listen to on a loop mm-hmm. if I need to like get my head thinking of different thoughts. Cause sometimes the thoughts are so loud that you'll be like, ah, just uh, get, get on my skull. Like, and you can't escape your own brain. So it's like to plug you, in somebody else's thoughts. Yeah. I always nope. say that too. It's like, you know, it's the old story, wherever you go, you know, you, there, you there you are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then uh, next thing on my list is if I can't think of anything else to do, I need to be somewhere beautiful that reminds me of life and its beauty. So I love going to somewhere, you know, like the Bouchon in Beverly Hills, where it's just like palatial, there's fountains. I mean, this would be better in a COVID, non-COVID time, but like somewhere that reminds you of the best things in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, or for example, the self-realization self-realization center and the Palisades. That's another great one. Also closed for the most part because of COVID. Um, So a lot of the time it's thinking of new solutions for yourself and then plugging those in like your life depends on it. Cause there's, it's almost like you're running away from uh, a thought that your brain is trying to remember like, wait, but I was feeling this other way. What was the way I was feeling before? And you just have to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it to the point where you're like, I'm exhausted I can't keep doing this, but like, yeah, you got to keep doing it. And that's how you start to break the cycle that your brain Mm -hmm. is currently practicing. It's just repetition. I found something that's really helped me recently is starting to do things that I really enjoy that doesn't, isn't just for the means of to be successful or creating a business or money orientated, just things that I enjoy, like painting, things that don't really 
have to have a reason or playing the drums or things that I haven't done for so long that I don't need to put on social media and I don't need to tell my friends that I'm doing it. Things for me that get me in that idea of flow because flow is a very peaceful place where your thoughts aren't thinking all the time. And we all have flow, like even on this podcast, some of us have had flow. It's like when you're really listening and tuning in and looking outward and you're not looking inward and you're not listening to that repetitive thought behavior. Um, that for me and trying to find out what does bring me flow and then continually trying to do more of that because I believe that you're only truly happy when you're in that feeling um, and it doesn't happen all the time. That's why actors, you know, they spend their whole life trying to be on set and they find flow in very little in, in very little segments and that's why they have addiction addictions and behaviors that aren't very healthy because they're just trying to get back into that. But there's so many things that can bring uh, like that feeling to someone. And that's something that I've felt that has been really helpful for me. Mm. And, and you bring up a really good point because a lot of us um, are so defined by very specific things in our lives. I it was very, I'm very defined by my work. My work brings me incredible happiness. Um, I really struggled, which Sabrina can attest to, becoming an empty nester because being a mom and having my son with me and going through the experience was very much defined um, who I was as a person, my social life, as well as filling up all the time that I wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a, that's a, it, but you make a great point about having to find things that are completely separate yeah. from all of and, that. And we didn't even yeah. talk about social media, which I think is another aspect for a lot of people that gets them in the unhappy and anxiety ridden mood. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's the self-judgment. Everybody, you know, obviously posts the best things about their life, getting off a private plane the one time or whatever the case is. <laughs> I know you don't. I don't either. I'm like, here I, I don't stretch either. marks. Do you love it? Yeah, okay, yeah. Mine is yeah, good, yeah, but here's my stomach. Good for you. Good I'll for show you. you my, I'll show you mine. I'll show my, you mine if you show me yours. <laughs> I don't have stretch marks, but I have this fucking amazing yeah. roll of, <laughs> of skin and I keep pulling at it like it's, I'm like, fuck, it's not fat. It's just skin. Yeah. What do I do with that? You know, universal. That's the thing. It's universal. And if more people on social media was saying, you know what? I have that role of skin, too. I have that role of skin, too. We'd all go, they oh, do have it. everyone has that role of skin. We're but not everyone the anomaly, you know? Stop looking at it. Don't look at like, it. You're focusing. You're, that's and that the documentary, point. Uh, Netflix right now, about it's called The Social Dilemma, I think it's called. Oh, my God. It is watching amazing yeah. how yeah. we are so addicted to social media, even if we think we aren't or do think we are. That's right. But it's been designed to fuck us up pretty much. Yeah. Well, it's all, very as it's all very aspirational. Mm -hmm. And the truth is no one can live. And especially we go back to the times we're in right now, you'll, you'll blow your brains out if you're trying to live com in a completely aspirational way. Yeah. The table is not always set perfectly. Yeah, well, Melissa, to your point, I feel like a great way to think about, like kind of what you're talking about right now is like, how do I, I heal my life? Because right now I have these voids. My, my nest is empty. I don't have access to all the places I want to go. And if you think about it, like you hear, you'll, you would get this from a physical therapist when you're healing a broken bone is you're supposed to really strengthen the muscles surrounding that mm -hmm. bone. And I feel like you can think about your life in the same way. It's like, what are the other things in my life that I can strengthen? So painting, as Tamman said, I feel like that's a great one. Or if you have like a, you know, I like nature, maybe you start gardening. As soon as you start to pick up little habits like that, even if you feel like, ah, this is, I don't really mean this, or ah, am I really going to keep this up? Or does this really make that big of a difference? If you just start 
putting, plugging in little ingredients like that, what happens is your life gets fuller and your focus gets a little bit more diversified so that you're not a thousand percent in the bucket of my body or my looks or my skin. It's like that takes away a tiny bit of focal energy because right now I think your brain is repeating, this is me, this is me. This is like this fold is all who I am and my, my job, that's all me. So if those two things are not going great, our whole everything about ourselves falls with it. And we can't, it makes us very vulnerable, just like you make a bone very vulnerable. So I think I call it like, you know, your pond lilies, like you want a bunch of them at all times. That happens to a lot of people with relationships. If you have, all you have is the relationship, then all of a sudden that, that guy goes away and your whole personality goes with it. And you're like, I'm nobody, I'm nothing. And it's like, well, no, you just need more lily pads. That's really what it's about. I love the idea of lily pads. I do have to question one thing, playing the drums, Tamin? <laughs> like, I have such something? weird things that I love to do. But did, you always play the, did you That's always play the drums? Weird. So my mom's a guitar teacher and I had, an al- I had a couple albums back in Australia. Wow. <laughs> so music is um, very part of our lives. And yeah, I love the drums. I love sewing. So weird. I love, um, I don't love cooking that much. I love... Um, what else I say? Painting, drawing, arguing with my husband. Well, that's a, that's a universal. Um, no, by the way, my mom loved to paint. Yeah. And at night after the end of the day, and she had this gorgeous apartment in New York. And in her bathroom was set up this crappy easel and paper and paint. And you'd have to sort of mm-hmm. fight your way through it. But every night to unwind, she would sit and paint. How did I not know that? Because I've read, I think, all your mother's books and I know where you guys live. Your mom was part of the Upper East Side. I remember seeing her and just feeling like, okay, there's Joan Rivers. I'm okay. You know, she'd be a Lagaloo. She'd be on <laughs> Madison Avenue because that's where I was all the time. And just seeing her made me feel like, great, I was at home. So how did I not know? That's a great little bit of information I didn't know about your mom. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. One of my favorite things I have is a sketch she did of uh of Cooper and me sitting on the beach when he was a little boy, and I have that framed in my bathroom. Aww, wow. Nasty. It's really sweet. Okay, so before I let anyone go, um, I want to go around and ask, what is the one, what makes you the happiest? Rich? Oh my God, it's so cliche. It's so cliche, I'm sorry, but I was a dad late in life. My children now just make me the happiest. That's what makes me the happiest. I've already done the fashion, I've styled, I've sat with you know the people I admired and loved and Hollywood and this and that. My kids make me so happy knowing they're healthy and if I can just manage to stay alive long enough to see them get settled, that's gonna make me the happiest. Said like a true parent, Sarah. I mean, since you already covered children, I will say acts of service and helping others. Oh, speaking of children, (laughs) mine just broke in. Um, (laughs) Yeah, acts of service. When you're able to help somebody else, it's one of the most fulfilling feelings in the world. And I would say that's probably true for everybody, but maybe a lot of people don't know it. Right. Sabrina? I was going to say acts of service also. It just, when you can, can get out of yourself and focus on someone else and help them along the way. To me, that's satisfying. Mm-hmm. Tamman? I'm probably ruining the question, but for me, it's the sum of all parts when they all work mm-hmm. perfectly together. My work brings me 
so much joy. And I think that sometimes women feel guilty saying that because they're like, what do you mean you don't love everything about motherhood? And I don't love everything about motherhood. I love so much about motherhood, but there are other parts of me that don't. Yeah. Get um, ready for get ready for when you have a teenager. Yeah. Gonna, and I'm sure you're going to not just really, say, I don't like, I think you, you're going to yeah. be like, I hate this. You lose parts of yourself and you draw colorful new one parts of yourself, but it's not all wonderful. Um, So for me, my happiest is when it's just all working together because I'm a better, yeah, I'm a better mother when I work harder and I'm a better worker when I'm with my children and Mm -hmm. I'm traveling. So it's the sum of what makes up a, a human and a woman that makes me the happiest when it's all in sync. Yeah, when you so that you're happiest when you are feeling balanced. 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 You know, and I guess for me, obviously my son makes me the ha- and but he he makes me the happiest when he's happy. Right. The second he's not happy, I'm I no matter what is going on in my life, I'm completely strung out and miserable. Mm. You know, my mom always used to say you're only as happy as your unhappiest child. <laughs> That's so um, true. Which is true. So true. Which is true. Yeah. Um, and for me, not, you know, we all admit that as parents, that's our that's our happiest place. Um, I agree with Tam in balance. I have discovered I'm happiest in nature. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Cooper and I go to Wyoming every year, and that's our happy place. We go skiing, you know every year and in, out in nature and that's our happy place. So, you know, we're out on a beach, nature, our happy place. So I always think it's really interesting. This has been amazing. I feel <laughs> like great. I've learned a lot. And I, awesome. so, I so appreciate all of you for joining me today. And um, thanks for, for sharing your own personal roadmaps for how to, how to be happy. Well, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. And you girls are all so interesting. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of layers to each of you. Bye. You have no idea. 